Let's stand together as we read the word of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 18, we'll begin at verse 1. Let's read together. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel, as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now, Lord, strengthen me today, I pray, to deliver your truth and open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I ask that you will draw them, and especially I pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. Lord, bring them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost. And I lift up the needs of the people in this congregation, in this house, and also joining us online. And I ask, O Lord, that you would give attention to the concerns on their heart and touch each person today at the point of their need. Don't let us leave the same way we came, I pray. In Jesus' lovely name, that name that is above every name, the only name that really matters. I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. In the passage that forms the text for the message today, the Lord took the prophet Jeremiah to the house of the potter. What he saw there served as an illustration for how the Lord was working with and was dealing with the nation of Israel. Well, I want to spend some time with you here at the potter's house today, because what we're going to discover is that, is that this potter is more than a mere potter. This is the Lord. And this clay, well, it's more than just clay, and it's more than just the nation of Israel. It's you. And the process, well, it's more than fashioning a vessel. It's a picture of how the Lord fashions and shapes and molds your life into a vessel that he can use for his glory. Now, we have someone in our congregation who does a lot of work with clay and pottery, and in fact, she even teaches this. So, so Bella, if you would come, I've asked Bella if she would help me with this message today. I figure that she may actually get more attention with the message than I do, so that's, and that's all right. And as she's kind of getting set up, I want to begin our visit to the potter's house by telling you a little about the master potter. See, not just anybody can be a potter. It takes skill. It takes training. It, it takes hours of working with the clay, getting to know how, when it feels right and when it's the right consistency and the right amount of pressure to use so that, uh, so that things will take the proper shape. And not just any clay will do, and not just any individual can shape 
a vessel properly. It, it takes a, a correct mixture of clay and the skills of a trained artisan to form a pot for successful firing. Most people that begin the process of making something out of clay have a lot of false starts. They make a lot of mistakes. They have a lot of things that wind up on the junk pile before they can actually craft something that is useful. Well, I want to tell you that isn't the case with the potter in our text because he's the master potter. He's been doing this a long time. Every one of his vessels, listen, every one of his vessels has always turned out perfectly. This potter's work is first of all done with purpose. When the Lord, the master potter, begins his work, it's always with a divine plan and purpose. He isn't just slinging stuff around hoping something will take shape. Oh no, he works from a master plan. He has a grand design in mind from the very beginning. He sees something in you that you do not see in yourself. So when he begins working in your life, he does so with purpose. Not only that, but I want to tell you the master potter is patient. He's careful. He doesn't hurry the process. He takes the time necessary for the needed preparation before he ever begins the shaping process. He never works according to the timetable of the clay. He works according to his divine timetable. See, he doesn't want to sacrifice beauty for speed. He doesn't want to do that. He, he isn't mass-producing vessels that all look the same way. Each one is individually handcrafted. And even when a particular lump of clay is difficult to work with, come on somebody, he never gives up on it. He carefully, meticulously, diligently molds and shapes and crafts. He is inexhaustibly patient. Now, the next thing that captures my attention in the potter's house is what I call the malleable clay. In ancient times, they didn't have the luxury that we have of going to the craft store and purchasing clay that was ready to use. So what they would do is they would go out into the field and they would dig up a chunk of dirt. And this would be clay in its rawest form. The potter would begin by picking out the obvious problems, you know, the little sticks and the stones and the bugs to get it as clean as possible that he could could to the, to, the, to the naked eye. He would just, he would work with it and feel it. And if he felt something that was rough, he'd pull that out and any little grass pieces and he'd rub it around and do all of that. And then he would begin to mix that clay with water and he would sift it to remove additional foreign objects that didn't need to be there. There were several settling bases that the potter used where the sifting took place. Each basin had little holes in it, and each successive one had smaller holes than the one before. And he would press the clay through those holes so it would sift out any impurities and things that would mess up the, the vessel. And after sifting then, sometimes what he would do is he'd put that clay on the floor and he'd walk on it with his feet and stomp it out and then he would take and he would put it and roll it out on a table and he would fold it over and he would punch it down much like a baker punches down the bread dough so it will rise again. However, unlike the bread, the, purchase, the purpose of the punching is not so the clay will rise but so all the air pockets will be taken out of it. What he's doing is he's condensing the clay because if there are air pockets in that clay, that can cause a defect in the pottery. 
it would create a weak area that would lead to the vessel becoming flawed and useless. So here the potter is. She's kneading it, punching it, <laughs> adding some water to it, and adding more clay back and forth over and over again. And she'll do that until the clay is just the right consistency. All of this is time. All of this is preparation. Nobody can see what kind of vessel this is going to be yet. All you have is a lump of clay. Now, please remember, I'm not really talking about clay. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about how the Lord is working with your life. I'm talking about what's going on in your life before you or anybody else can see what God has in mind for you. God's molding you. God's shaping you. See, if his only objective was for you to get to heaven, he could have done that three seconds after you were born again. But God has something far more wondrous in mind for you. He has a life of meaning. He has a life of purpose in mind for you. He has a call and a future and a destiny of something that will be a blessing to you and will ultimately rise to the praise of his glory. How are we doing with that? You about ready? All right. Because I'm about done preaching that part. I need to go on. Once the clay is properly prepared... Then I want to call your attention to the moving wheel. The potter takes the lump of clay and throws it onto the wheel. In fact, creating a vessel on the potter's wheel is actually called throwing a pot. On the wheel, it has to be positioned right in the center. Remember, I'm not talking about clay. I'm talking about you right there. See, it has to be right in the center. If it's off to the side, it won't stick properly, and the centrifugal force of the spinning wheel will cause it to wobble, and it won't form properly. And once the potter starts the wheel, the wheel must continue to spin. If it slows down, if it stops, the clay will lose its shape. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking right now. If you're the clay, you're thinking, I'm not sure I want God to dig at me. I'm not sure I want God pressing me. I'm not sure I want God watering me and sifting me and punching me. I certainly don't want to be placed on a wheel where my life starts spinning around out of control. Some of you feel like this is your life right now anyway. What you don't understand is that the way your life is spinning right now seems to be out of your control, but it is never out of the control of the master potter. It isn't an accident you're facing what you're facing right now. God is working in your life. He's using circumstances. He, he's using other people. He's using hardship and trial and disappointment and difficulties. What is he doing? He's fashioning you into a vessel of honor. He's making you into a unique artistic expression of his divine handiwork. There's something you must never forget. When he first dug you out of the ground, you were in his hands. 
when the debris, the obvious things, were being removed from your life, you were in his hands. When you were being sifted and stuff you didn't even know was there was being pushed out, you were in his hands. When you were being kneaded and pummeled, you were in his hands. When you were thrown on the wheel, you were in his hands. When you are spinning on the wheel, you are in his hands. There is never one time when you are not in his hands. Now you're on the wheel and the potter begins the process of molding and shaping. In order to do that, the potter has to apply pressure. He pushes up and down, in and out, pulling and pushing, stretching, forming, molding, shaping. And all the while, you're in the hands of the master potter. Oh, and by the way, well, when he's doing that, if he sees something he doesn't like, you know what he does? He takes a knife and he carefully cuts or shaves off the things that don't belong. Did I happen to mention I'm not really talking about a potter and I'm not really talking about clay? Does any of this sound familiar to anybody? Now, sometimes the clay decides it's had just about enough of the potter messing with it and refuses to cooperate with the hand of the potter. Come on. Or maybe there's a particle of debris in the clay that the potter missed and it causes the vessel to be flawed. Well, if that happened to most of us, we'd just toss the clay and start fresh with another piece. Hmm, not the master potter, oh no. Mm -mm, mm -mm. When the clay is flawed and the vessel is marred, the master potter doesn't throw the clay away. Instead, he takes that same lump of clay, he removes what caused the vessel to be spoiled, and he just remakes it into another vessel. I, I, I'm trying to help somebody today. I'm trying to help you see that no matter if you're flawed and spoiled, no matter if you haven't lived up to the purpose for which you were originally created, God has not given up on you. He has not thrown you on the refuse heap. He has not cast you aside. The master potter still has you in his hand. He still has his hand on you. The master potter is still forming and fashioning and shaping you. This master potter is infinitely creative. Oh, you're not going to look like you did before, but you'll be a new vessel. <laughs> this is the grace of God. You are the clay in the hand of the master potter. Even though you may be marred, he's not going to throw you away. He'll make something fresh and new out of your life. See, you may be spoiled, but you're in his hand. You may be corrupt, but you're in his hand. You, even if you're ruined, you're in his hand. Even if you've made mistakes, you're in his hand. Oh, oh but pastor, I, pastor, you, I've failed. Yes, but you're in his hand. But, but pastor, I'm guilty. Yes, but you're in his hand. And I, I'm scarred from life's skirmishes. Yes, but you're in his hand. You may be bruised, but you're in his hand. You may be beaten, but you're in his hand. You may be battered, but you're in his hand. You may be burned by the flames of failure. Yes, but you're in his hands. <laughs> well, I, 
I, I don't know if you know this or not, but God isn't looking for silver and gold. He's not looking for a superstar. He's not looking for somebody that has it all together. He's not looking for a spiritual colossus with angel dust in his hair. God's in the business of turning trash into treasures. Give him junk, he'll turn it into jewels. Give him garbage, he'll turn it into glory. He'll turn rubbish into riches. He'll turn debris into diamonds. He'll take riffraff and turn it into righteousness. He'll take waste and turn it into worship. He'll take a mess and turn it into majesty. He'll take a drug addict and turn it into deliverance. He'll take a prostitute, turn it into praise. He'll take a homosexual, turn it into a hallelujah. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but God's building his church on a bunch of misfits and throwaways. <laughs> he, he, he takes a murderer like Moses, turns him into a liberator. He takes a dreamer like Joseph, turns him into prime minister of Egypt. He takes a captive like Daniel, turns him into a prayer warrior. He takes a shepherd boy like David and turns him into a king. He takes a child like Jeremiah, turns him into a prophet. He takes a fisherman like Peter, turns him into an apostle. He takes a tax collector like Zacchaeus, turns him into a disciple. He takes a persecutor like Paul, turns him into a missionary. He takes an adulterer like the woman at the well, turns her into an evangelist. All God needs is a piece of clay. You just submit yourself to the hand of the master potter and then you step back and see what he will produce out of your life. Oh, glory to God. Hold, hold, that, hold that up, Bella. Can you, can you do that so we can see? I want you to see what the, what the potter is doing. Now, There's something marvelous about this piece right here that she's just done. There, there's no other piece just like that. That's a one of a kind right there. Now, notice what happens here. Just, just if you don't mind, just hold that for a second. Is that going to tire you out? If, if you, okay, you're good. Once that clay is formed into the vessel that has been designed and crafted by the master potter. The master potter takes that vessel off the wheel. And right now, see, it has shape, it has form, but it isn't functional. Right now, that has no enduring strength. In its current form, the least bit of pressure will cause it to lose its shape and collapse. Let me tell you something else about this. If it's allowed to dry out, it'll just crumble. Am I, am I right? It'll, it'll, just, it'll just crumble in your hand. Now, the master potter knows this, so he takes the newly formed vessel. Remember, I'm not talking about clay. He takes the vessel, and the next thing he does is he places it in the mighty furnace. Oh. 
And it's there under extreme heat that the clay is transformed into pottery. I did some reading on this because I didn't know this. But you can find out anything on Google these days. Yeah. <laughs> of course, if it's on the internet, you believe it, right? <laughs> if that's true, I have some property out in the desert that's waterfront that you might be interested in. Anyway, I'm told from the reading I did that clay transforms into pottery at approximately 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Normal firing of the clay is between 2,100 degrees and 2,400 degrees Fahrenheit. High-fire porcelain is normally fired between 2,380 degrees and 2,460 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, somebody look over at your neighbor and say, that's hot. <laughs> you can put that down. Now, now, you thought after the master potter got through picking at you and poking you and pushing you and stretching you and prodding you and shaping you, you thought you were finished. You thought you were ready to be used. So what's up with the fire? Right? I want to tell you, the firing of the clay is just as important as the preparing and the forming of the clay. The clay has to stay, hear me, the clay has to stay in the fire long enough for the chemical process in the clay to start working. Heat extracts water molecules from clay and creates a substance that doesn't dissolve in water. The beauty of properly fired clay is that it will not break down and disintegrate, even if you bury it for thousands of years. That's why when they go on these archaeological digs, one of the greatest things they can find is pieces of pottery. See, there's a reason you're going through the fire. That's what it's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. I want to tell you just about the time you think you can't stand the heat anymore, that's when the fire gets turned up just a little bit hotter. It's because the master potter is creating something that will endure not just for time, but will endure for all eternity as well. Does anybody remember the story of the three Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel? Remember, they were thrown into the fiery furnace that had been heated seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. Well, there's a lesson from that story I don't want you to miss. The lesson is this. God didn't keep them out of the fire. Instead, God kept them in the midst of the fire. When the fire was the hottest, that's when God was the most real, the most present. When the fire was the hottest, that's when God's grace was the greatest. And I just want you to know today, if you're in the fire, you're not alone. Because the Lord himself is walking with you. He's the one who's keeping you from collapsing. He's the one sustaining you. He's the one making sure you're not destroyed. He's holding you. He's helping you. He's protecting you. When those three boys came out of the fire, the Bible says their hair wasn't singed. Their trousers weren't damaged. They didn't even smell like smoke. And I just came by to remind somebody today that you're going to get through this fiery ordeal you're in right now. God's grace is going to see you through. 
this fiery ordeal is not going to destroy you. It's going to develop you. It's going to form you into a vessel of honor that is useful to the master. And when you get through the fire, you will not bend when the pressure comes. And when you get through the fire, you will not crumble and fall apart at the first sign of trouble. But when you get through this fire, you'll be strong and confident and courageous. That's what the master potter is doing in your life right now. Now, that, it gets better. There's more. Because once that vessel is removed from the fire, it must be scoured and scrubbed to remove any lingering signs of air bubbles that may have surfaced in the fire. All the nicks and bumps have to be smoothed out. Some of you could use a little sandpaper. I'm just saying. And I'm included in the you. Then and only then is it ready for the final part of the process, the marking of the vessel. The master potter will take the fired and sanded vessel and will then paint or, or glaze it. See, you can only use an unglazed, unglazed vessel once because bacteria and fungi are able to hide in the pores of an unglazed vessel. However, when a glazed vessel is washed, you can use it over and over again because there's no place for the bugs to hide. And this glazing not only has a utilitarian purpose, but it also serves an aesthetic purpose as well. The painting, the glazing, is what beautifies the vessel, makes it attractive. I should have had you bring to the pulpit some of the finished stuff. We'll do that for the next service. Y'all can see it in the, in the lobby. She's got some stuff out there, and, and you can take one of them home for a small fee. It will go to help feed hungry people. Bella and her husband. <laughs> See, I want to tell you, the, 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 the glazing beautifies the vessel. It makes it attractive. This is what the Lord does with you when he places his anointing upon you. The anointing drives out any damaging effects. The anointing beautifies the life. And if something should come along to contaminate, when you're anointed, all you need is the washing of the water of the word, and you're cleaned, and you're ready to be of service again. This is the process the master potter uses to create a useful vessel. Uh, but there's one final step. Back in the 1960s, there was a commercial for Zenith radios. Anybody remember those? Zenith radios use this tagline, the quality goes in before the name goes on. Does anybody remember that? When I thought about that, I was reminded of the promise in Revelation 3 and 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. 
I thought of the promise of Revelation 22, 1 through 4. Then he showed me a river of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. Watch this. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. See, I want to tell you, the master potter waits until the vessel is complete before signing his name. The quality goes in before the name goes on. All of the sifting and the kneading and the stretching and the pulling and the spinning and the shaping and the molding and the firing and the sanding and the glazing. All of it is designed to get you to the place where the master potter will then put his name on you. Identifying you as one of his masterpieces. There's a song we used to sing in church. I'd like you to join me in singing as a means of dedicating yourself once more to the hand of the master potter. I want to invite you to make this your prayer today. I'm, I'm, I'm finished preaching. But we need to recognize, remember, I'm not talking about a potter in clay. I'm talking about God in you. This is what God is trying to do. Is anybody encouraged today? Does anybody see that? But, but see, this only works if the clay is submitted to the hand of the master potter. So I'm going to ask you to make this your prayer song, song of dedication, and sing, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the But help, help us now to somehow make that, truly make that the prayer of our heart. You are the potter. We are the clay. We think we know what we ought to be, but you know what you want us to be. So shape us, mold us, make us. We submit to the hand of the potter. Thank you. Thank you.